L.A. it is. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK. How are you doing tonight, PK? I'm doing great. I've got the air conditioning on because we still have over 100. I think it's 102 today. Ooh. <laughs> I'm waiting wow. for You're still roasting out there. Well, I'm glad you've got We're the air conditioning on. You betcha. Oh, goodness. We have got such a great guest on tonight. We're going to bring him on in just a few minutes, and we're going to be talking about, again, another one of our very favorite stories. But, my gosh, what incredible information our guest is bringing forward. L.A. Marzulli is going to join us. We are talking tonight about Fatima. This is information I had never seen before. How about you? It's just, it's just amazing. It's mind-boggling to know all this has been available, and we're finally just getting to unzip the package and get a good look. Thank goodness for Ali Marzulli, and he's going to join us in just a few. So, PK, tell us, first of all, about numbers. I know you've been looking at a lot of stuff for us tonight. Well, firstly, thank you, God, this is the last day of September, <laughs> and this has been a four-month, and it's been very difficult for everyone to deal with because it, it deals with stress, health, all kinds of aspects. And this is, thank you, God, the last day of it. So Yay. tomorrow we'll make big changes, but I'll show, share that with you next week. But for right now, the bottom line is, when we're taking a look at what's taking place here, we have so many major issues. Well, I was taking a look at Fatima, which was uh, took place in 1917, Right. It's an 189. Well, when we're looking at that and we're looking at the month day that they invi- was involved with this, it was a 14-5. 14-5 is about major changes, details of things, getting things out there. And guess what tomorrow's going to start? It's September ending, October beginning, and it's a 14-5. Oh so we've my got God. a lot of major changes taking place. And it has a luck factor that goes with it. It's going to open doors and give us a chance to see some things that we haven't had a chance to look at in quite a while. Because it, oh. it's looking at some things that transpired before. Uh, it's just at that point in time, the Spanish flu was something ongoing. Well, here we go. We've got the same thing, same kind of year, same kind of issues, right. just a different name tagged on it. That's all. So we're just going to have to... Take a look at what was and see what we can do to make it better. Like paying attention, that's the best way to start. Yeah, so, that is a great way to start. Yeah, and the one thing that 
came out, and this is kind of resounding off the wall for me, is Pope John Paul II. He had all these papers and information that he could have shared with the world, and the Vatican still hasn't shared it. And I, I'm not biased one way or the other because I was raised Catholic, but I right. still think it was terribly, terribly wrong. This so we deserve to know these things. You know, if it wasn't for filmmakers and experts like L.A. Marzulli, we'd never know these things. We would. Well, that's true. So that's why it's so important that people like L.A. get out there and put all this stuff out there because otherwise we we're getting lost in the briar patch. Definitely, definitely. Oh. I mean, here's a, this amazing event that took place, and yet there's so many missing pieces. But we're going to learn all about it tonight. And I also wanted to mention we've got an interesting vanishing story. It happened in Europe, and it is on our Facebook page. Take a look at it. We've got other stories on the page also, more UFO sightings. It seems like they're just ramping up. So go there, take a look, like and follow us, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well. So, my goodness, oh, we have, again, a great guest tonight. Again, you do. what you said was right. It had This whole event happened 100 years ago. But as of today, we are, guess what? We're still we're repeating history. We still, they didn't know then. We still don't know now because there's too many places where things fall through the cracks. And thank God for our guest tonight because he's going to fill in some of these spaces. Oh, thank goodness. And let me tell you a little bit about him, everybody. L.A. Marzulli is an author, lecturer, and filmmaker. He has penned 12 books, including the Nephilim Trilogy, which made the CBA bestsellers list. Now, based on his work on the trilogy, L.A. received an honorary doctorate from his mentor, Dr. I.D.E. Thomas, who was the provost at Pacific International University. He was also honored with a gold medallion award, Missler, at the K-House Conference in 2014. His book series on the Trail of the Nephilim, Volumes 1 and 2, are full-color, oversized volumes, which reveal startling evidence of a massive cover-up of what he believes to be the remains of the Nephilim, the giants mentioned in the Bible. Now he is also, I mean, again, there's just so many things our guest has done. He's so knowledgeable. And he is the producer and director of two great films on the events of Fatima. So, L.A., welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Patricia and PK. Really appreciate it. Well, it's well, we're so, so good happy to, to have, have you here. I- Tell us why you got interested in Fatima. You have a wealth of knowledge on so many paranormal subjects. What brought you to Fatima? You know, I've been a student of Fatima for literally decades. Um, it, you know, I, I remember as, as a child, literally as a child, hearing about Fatima and, mm-hmm. you know, wondering whether that was true or not, whether uh, allegedly the Virgin Mary appeared to the three kids and, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I was, like, steeped in all that. And uh, I believed in it. I mean, as, as a child, I'm talking, like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, I, I, was, I was drawn to it. I, I believed in it. It was like, okay, something was going on there. But all I had was the version that was uh, created in films in the 50s. And they're, right. and they're very much party line. What I mean by that, um, they tow 
the official narrative that came down uh, basically by Rome, by the Vatican. Uh, I believe mm-hmm. it was a managing agenda, but I'm getting way ahead of myself here. But I was I was drawn to it. And later on, uh, at, at 30 years old, I became a born-again spiritual Christian, and I began to plumb the depths of Fatima about mm, maybe 20 years into it. So around 2000, I started reading books by Joaquim Fernandez, uh, uh, Fina de Armada. These are Portuguese-speaking investigators who lived in Portugal. Who, at, in, in fact, I met Joaquim. Uh, he's in the film. Fina died in 2014. So unfortunately, I never was able to meet her. I did meet her daughter, uh, which was fant- fantastic, Federica, and she's in the film. She's in both films. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And she, she carries on her mother's footsteps. Fina was a college student, and one of her assignments was do a, uh, a report, a lot more than a report, on influ- influential women of the 20th century. So she figured, being Portuguese, and, you know, what's one of the most influential women of the 20th century? Certainly that would be Lucia. Um, and that is one of the seers of Fatima. There were three children, Lucia, as he's actually called, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta. Lucia was 10, Francisco was 9, Jacinta was 7. So Fina de Armada begins to um, do a study on this, specifically on Lucia, and she gains access to the Fatima archives. And these archives are in Fatima, Portugal. And in those archives are the handwritten testimonies by Father Fierro, who was the parish priest in 1917. And this mm-hmm. is the source material that our films are based on. Everything that we talk about in the film is based on the handwritten eyewitness accounts from 1917. Not 11 years later, not 20 years later, not 30 years later. They're all based on, bam, this is it. This is what the people saw. This is what happened. This is their testimony, 1917, when these apparitions took place. And what, what I discovered, what we discovered, and this is basically because of Francisco Carrera, uh, who was our, our co-producer over in Portugal, who basically got all the interviews together. Joaquim Fernandez, who was uh, partnered with Fina de Armada and wrote three books with her and, uh, and other people that we met that had part of the team. And everybody in the film, for the most part, is a Ph.D. So these are highly educated people examining what happened. We don't dispute that something happened at Fatima. We're not, dis- we're not disputing that at all. And you'll notice in both films, I never bag on the Virgin Mary. I keep Mary off the table. We never right. go after that. But we do go after on we do go after what what happened and the supernatural implications thereof. Well, you you've done a beautiful job. We highly recommend Thank everybody you. go to your website and rent or purchase these films because they are so important to see. Because again, you've done a great job and you've been so methodical in your research and putting all of this together uh, to the very end of, of when you talk about the photographs, which we'll save for later. But, my goodness, it was – I was on the edge of my seat. I was wondering what you were going to bring up next to show us, you know, this is what happened. It's so different from what we were told, so different. Well, it is, and this is this is part of the uh, – 
of, of the problem. You know, when, when you say something, when you have an official narrative created by the church at Rome, who the heck am I, you know, L.A. Marzulli and nobody, to go up against the church of Rome? And I understand that. And to ruffle people's feathers. Uh, we've got a lot of hate, not a lot, but some hate mail from Catholics proclaiming that all we're doing is uh, creating an anti-Catholic film when nothing could be no. more far from the truth. There's not, we never talked about Catholicism. In fact, in the very beginning of the films, there's a disclaimer, and it basically says millions, and I repeat it verbatim because I wrote it um, as a director of the film, millions of people uh, go to Fatima every year in pilgrimage there. Millions of Muslims surround the Kaaba stone and worship. Millions of Hindus worship at Guru Puja and other Hindu festivals in India. Millions of Buddhists at thousands of temples worship on a daily basis all over China. So people have the right to believe what they want to believe and worship as they see fit. And we're not, we never talk about that. We never, you know, say, well, you shouldn't be, we never go there. All we do is explore what actually happened. And that's mm-hmm. what the film is about. And it's amazing. The critics of the film, when, when I'll get an email from somebody, oh, well, you're anti-Catholic, I'll write to them, have you seen the film? Well, no, but no. No, uh, but if you haven't seen the film, you're not qualified to talk about it and the story. If you haven't right. seen the film, please don't write me. If you have seen the film, <laughs> you want to discuss, you know, different parts of it, that's one thing. But most of the critics, they've never seen the film. They just assume that we go on one tack, and we don't. We don't go bashing the Catholic Church or, or Mary of the Bible or any of that stuff. We don't do that. No, you've created, a, a, again, two great films where there's a lot of room for everybody in the audience to maintain their own belief system and just look at the evidence that you're presenting. Well, I think that was the part that was so special to me is because uh, at my age, while I was a youngster, this was very much uh, the information that we went by. And as you're bringing out other things, it's opening doors that I go, aha, these were true things. It wasn't what they tried to put a clamp on later and act as if there was something wrong with it. There wasn't. And unfortunately, they tried to hide what we needed to know. So thank you for bringing all these things out. Well, I really appreciate that. And that's, you know, when, when, we, when we created the films, uh, it was, it was um, <clears throat> 2017, the 100-year anniversary. <clears throat> I remember going to my wife, and I, I felt like I had a word from the Lord. It was one word. It was Fatima. And I went, oh, my yeah. gosh, it's the 100-year anniversary. In other words, there was nothing on my radar <clears throat> to go to Portugal and to create a film on Fatima. Nothing. I wasn't thinking about that. And I walked in, after I got the word, I wa- which is a supernatural experience, from my spirit guide, as it were, because that's who spoke to me, the spirit of a living God. So he's my spirit guide. And he gave me one word, Fatima. <clears throat> so I walked in to my wife and I said, we're going to Portugal. And she looked at me like I had three heads. Uh, <laughs> a gentleman, yeah, a gentleman gave us a substantial donation out of the blue, never met the man. Uh, it just came out of nowhere, which basically funded almost the entire trip, which blew us away. Wow. And then Wonderful. a series of very bizarre circumstances through a person who would email me two or three times a day by the name of Miguel. 
And Miguel, when I said, Miguel, I think we're going to come to Fatima uh, in Portugal and do a film on Fatima. He immediately hooked me up with his friend, Francisco Carrera. And Francisco and I, you know, my, my wife and I and Francisco, became, along with Francisco's wife, we became very close. And uh, we spent a lot of time together, late night meals, like 11 o'clock at night in Portugal. And it's just wonderful hanging out with Francisco. Francisco heads ExoPolitics Portugal. So and he's been a student of Fatima for as long as I've been. And he knew all these people, all these experts. And he was the one who co-produced the film for Fatima, uh, both Fatima 1 and Fatima 2, and set up all the uh, interviews and places and and the shoots and every, I mean, the guy was amazing at what he did. And so we have a great depth uh, uh, of gratitude um, to Francisco. So we Definitely. went over there and, and look, I had read Joaquin Fernandez and Fiona Diarmada's books. I had read them and I knew that, okay, they have a completely different take than what we've been told. What's the truth. And so we went over there uh and we got there on July, um, I think, the 10th. So by the 13th, we were actually at Fatima, and we, we chimed up, um, basically planned it that way. So the, the 13th of the month is when the apparition would appear to the three children, Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta. So from May 13th to October 13th, uh, like clockwork, this apparition, this entity, appeared to the three kids. And so we, we timed our trip over there to be there for July 13th. And we weren't disappointed. There were thousands of people there. And they bought this statue out of Mary on a bed of roses with a crown on her head. And four pallbearers moved her through the crowd. The crowd went berserk. They were wow. throwing handkerchiefs in the air. People were running all over the place with flags from different countries. It was unbelievable. I mean, when I have film it, we show a little bit of it in Fatima 1. And I just looked at my wife and I said, Mary is off the table. And that's where the whole idea came from, <clears throat> which we talk about in the films. People have the right to believe what they want to believe. That's okay. Right. But we also have the right to, to plumb the, uh, what really happened at Fatima, and that's what we do in the films. Well, that might help our audience, too, because I'm not sure how many people in our audience know the original story. So uh, why don't you start there and tell us what the original story is, at least what what came down from the Vatican. This is the story most of us know. Basically, Lucia, uh, Francisco, and Jacinta, 10, 9, and 7, respectfully, um, they were, well, Lucia cousin to Francisco and Jacinta. They were shepherds. They were illiterate. It's 1917. World War I is raging. The Bolsheviks are um, basically taking over Russia, which is sending shockwaves throughout Europe because communism is, is being birthed and people are absolutely terrified of this new system. They don't want it, especially in Europe, but it's there. And in the midst of all this, there are uh, three children that uh, they're shepherds and they're out in the field with their sheep and this entity appears to them. This is the official story now. And right. they ask, where are you from? And the entity says, from heaven. And then the entity tells them, 
you know, to come back on the 13th of every month. That's the, the official version. But our version of the story goes in places <clears throat> that people never hear. First of all, there were a group of psychics that met, and they proclaimed through the use of a seance and automatic writing, which are occult techniques which are used like necromancy, and you tap into something else, but the bottom line is you don't know whether what you're tapping into is benevolent or malevolent. You have no idea. But these psychics were doing it, and through the technique of automatic writing, which is an occult technique, uh, Madame Blavatsky, the mother of the New Age movement, wrote everything through automatic writing. And what that is, for your listeners, if they don't know, <clears throat> the participant goes into a trance and allows an entity to possess them, not fully, but temporarily. And they begin to write automatically. And this is how Madame Blavatsky wrote um, you know, Isis and, and all, all of her books that uh, became the mother of the New Age and you know, they're widely distributed. But I digress. So the psychics were working with uh, automatic writing and it basically said something wondrous will happen in Portugal on May 13, 1917. And, and the letter was signed Stella Matutina. It was written right to left. You could only see it when you looked at it in a mirror. But the signature was normal. Stella Matutina, the bright morning star. That, for those of us who know and follow a biblical uh, prophetic narrative, know that that's another name for the dragon, Lucifer, i.e. Satan. Okay. <laughs> so that, that in itself is never brought out in the official version. <clears throat> so that, and that was, I actually was at the, the place, well, it was, a, it was a modern building. They moved from their old location to a much <clears throat> uh, bigger hall. But I actually saw the original handwritten document it was behind, you know, glass and stuff, and there it was. Uh, something wondrous will happen in Portugal on, on May 13, 1917, signed Stella Montetina, the bright morning star. So, you know, we, we were there, we filmed it, it's in the film. So that whole narrative is completely dismissed from the official narrative. It's not there. So we don't even know about that. And this is problematic. Why, are, why is, if, if it's really the God of the Bible... Why does God need a bunch of psychics to herald this thing? He doesn't. And, in fact, we know that these psychics are operating in ways that we are forbidden to. And the reason for this is because you're contacting spirits, as I said earlier. You don't know where they're malevolent or benevolent. You have no idea. And most people have no litmus test to even check that out. They just assume right. that, oh, my gosh, I'm getting something. It's got to be good. Not so fast, citizen. So that's the first glaring uh, observation that we made, and that's in the film. The second one is when the children, who are illiterate, are tending sheep, and this apparition appears to them. And when they ask it, where are you from, according to the 1917 handwritten documents by Father Fiera, the, the entity never says, I'm from heaven. It says, I'm from the sky. Ah, now, that might okay. sound... Like I'm splitting hairs, but I'm not. That's very important. Because when you say heaven, then you're opening up one paradigm. When you say the sky, that's another 
paradigm altogether. Who is the prince of the power of the air? So those are just, you know, two glaring, in my opinion, two glaring examples of where the official dogma that we read about of 1917 completely differs from the handwritten documents, which is our, again, that's our source material of where we made the films from. Now, there's also, uh, I mean, there's just so much to the story that we learned from watching your films. Now, these children, they were not afraid of this entity that appeared before them, right? Well, that's debatable. They were certainly taken aback by it. When the entity appeared to them, the entity gave them something to eat and drink. The two girls, Lucia and Jacinta, ate and drank. Francisco only, I believe, ate. He didn't drink. So Francisco could see the entity but never heard her speak. So now you only have Lucia and Jacinta to tell us what the entity said. Jacinta is only seven years old at the time. You know, seriously, a seven-year-old, right? Yeah. She never made it into her teenage years. She died from the uh, Spanish flu, as did Francisco. So we have one witness, which is Lucia, that lived into a ripe old age. I believe that she was in her 90s when she finally passed away. So that's the only person who made it into adulthood. And, you know, her account, in my opinion, differs greatly from the 1917 handwritten documents, which, you know, she would go and tell Father Fiera, the parish priest, in 1917, what they had just seen, what they had just heard. So when she writes her documents later, that's 11 years later, she's been hustled away by the Vatican. She's in Spain under uh, the Jesuits. She's been given a gag order. She can't talk to anybody except her confessor. How convenient is that? And, of course, the church pushes back and says, well, that's just the way things are done. Yeah, I get that. But essentially it's a gag order. This kid's 18 years old, and she's just been through the ringer, and you guys hustle her away. And then, then, and only then, does she write her memoirs, and that's when the so-called secrets of Fatima begin to take hold. But they're never, excuse me, the secrets of Fatima are never mentioned in the 1917 handwritten documents by Father Fierro. It's not there. Now, was this also part of the prophecies that they were given? Because, again, that's part of part and parcel of what we were told, that these children were given prophecies. And the church promised to reveal some of them, but never revealed others. So what's the truth about that? Well, and, and, and look, Fatima is complex. In my opinion, uh, these prophecies given by Lucia, again, they're given 11 years, 15 years, 20 years after the event. When you go to the 1917 handwritten documents, there are no prophecies. Russia is never mentioned. <clears throat> Russia is never mentioned. It's not okay. there in the handwritten documents. To, I'll, I'll put a caveat. To the best of my knowledge, and mm-hmm. that's based on the work of the people that I spoke to and the books that I've read about it, Russia is never mentioned uh, in the 1917 handwritten documents. So, Later on, when Lucia is, is, is cloistered in a convent, that's when all this stuff comes out. That's when all this construct is the Virgin Mary. 
and they they completely dress the whole phenomenon in in Catholic clothes. And as a researcher, as a Frank supernaturalist, this is uh, a construct which is incredibly misleading. And these people have a narrative, and they have a position to uphold. And so, in my opinion, with all due respect to Catholics who may believe otherwise, this is a false construct. It's a false mm-hmm. uh, interpretation of what happened. And that's why we made the film. Because what we discovered was, and look, we have an actual photograph. I'm getting ahead of myself, which we show in, 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 in episode two, uh, Strange Phenomena. And we have a photograph that lay in the archives at Fatima for almost 100 years, 100 years. And no one was allowed to look at it until Jose Machado, who was a professor of semiotics in Portugal, requested to look at the original glass plates. And what he discovered there, it blows the lid off this whole thing. We show that in the film. So getting back on track, the apparition, the entity, appears with the children on the 13th of every month. So we've got the, the psychics telling us something wondrous will happen on May 13th. On May 13th, this apparition appears to Lucia, uh, Francisco, and Jacinta. They go back and tell their parents. It spreads like wildfire. The apparition, the entity has already said, I'll be back on the 13th of the month of June. Next time in June, more and more people are gathered. By July, there are thousands. By August, <clears throat> the children are sequestered. They're in jail. So the apparition doesn't appear. But people who are there state that they see flying hats in the sky. That's how they describe them, flying hats in weird weather, weird stuff going on, atmospheric conditions. September, the children are back, and they're instructed by the magistrates, you know, all the bureaucrats, all the higher-ups in the church, go and ask this entity, the apparition, where are you from? and give us a sign. We need a sign. So the kids go, and they speak to the apparition, and the entity says, I will give a sign on October 13th. Word gets out, upwards of 70,000 people are waiting in that field on October 13th. Something happens, and we don't dispute that at all. There's no doubt that something incredible happened at Fatima on October 13th. Did the sun really leave its place in the solar system and come to Earth? Of course not. That's impossible. It didn't right. do that. The sun, the sun never left its place in the solar system. So what was it? If the sun is as big as a, as a watermelon and planet Earth is as big as a match head, there's no way. We'd all be burned to a crisp. And For sure. the, phenomenon, <clears throat> the phenomenon was only local. Only the people at Fatima, Portugal, saw it. A hundred miles away, people saw something, but they didn't know what it was. Five hundred miles away, people saw nothing. In England, nothing. In America, nothing. It was a localized phenomenon which happened at Fatima. So the people are waiting there on October 13th for this sign. They don't know what the sign's going to be. So the kids are there. Finally, they say, here she comes, here she comes. At this point... Um, it's been raining all day. We show this in the film. It's been raining all day, right. all night. 
So around 11 o'clock, it stops raining. 10 or 11 o'clock, it stops raining. Um, the sun comes out. The people are waiting there. They're standing there. The field is soaked with, with water. People are mostly wet because it really rained hard from what I can gather. And finally, the, sun, the sun's there, but there's a cloud that moves in front of the sun. And out of that cloud comes a spinning disc-like object, which begins to spin all these wild colors. And it descends on the, on the crowd and goes back up. It does this three different times. On the third time, it does what we call flyby. This whatever this object is flies over the heads of the crowd. The people who are directly under it experience several things. Their clothes became instantly dry. The, the ground underneath them became instantly dry. Many of them had burns like sunburn on their skin from looking at this thing. They also talked about this disc-like object. The people in the field at Fatima on October 13, 1917, many of them report, I looked up and saw, this is the exact quote, a dull silver disc. That's what they mm-hmm. saw, a dull silver disc. So people have disputed this, and this is where Jose Machado's work comes in. As a, as a professor of semiotics, he studies film. He studies photography. He handled the original glass plates that were taken of the event on October 13, 1917, by photographer Joshua Benolio, who took 12 photographs. And he said out of the 12 photographs, half of them had problems. He wouldn't tell me what the problems were, but they were problems. But one of the big photographs was he was allowed to duplicate and had problems in it clearly shows, we show this in the film for the first time, clearly shows a disc-like object directly above the so-called apparition site. And to the right of that photograph, there's a, there's a cloud of smoke which billows up, makes a right angle to the left, and stops right where the disc-like object is. What are we looking at? And we, I grilled Professor uh, Machado on this. I said, look, what, you know, is this object intrinsic in the film? Could it be a chemical burn, an object, you know, a, an artifact? He staked his reputation on it. He said, no, whatever this disc-like object is, it's intrinsic in the glass plate. It's part of the photograph. It's not a construct. It's not a scratch. It's not a chemical burn. It's there. And, you know, when you look at this, remember that Benoliel is hundreds of yards away. He's got a very old-fashioned camera, it's 1917, a wood box camera with glass plates. But doggone it, that's the photograph that I have said from the get-go. Somebody had to photograph this thing, and somebody did. Yeah. It appears to be a disc-like object, which is exactly what the eyewitnesses said that they saw, a disc-like object. If you and I were in that field, we would have called it a UFO. Definitely. That's exactly what it looks like. I mean, there's no question. When you finally revealed that in the second film, there was no question in my mind that if I'd seen that, that's exactly what I would have called it. And they did say also it was not a shiny disc. It was kind of a dull silver, right? That was the description that a lot of people gave. 
Correct. Dull silver disc. And that's what it looked like in the photo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amazing. I mean, when Amazing. I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, PK and Patricia, when I saw that um, for the first time, I mean, I just sat there and stared at it for like maybe five minutes because <laughs> I've always believed, I always believed that somebody, because we know that there were photographers on the site, and sure enough, mm-hmm. Benoio got the shot, the shot. And in my opinion, it was a UFO event. That's what it was. And I realized that that goes against the 100 years of one narrative uh, promulgated by the Catholic Church. I mean, who am mm-hmm. I to go up against the Catholic Church for crying out loud? I'm a nobody. And I don't, you, you know, that's why facts. I just like, you know, but I have the facts. Yeah. And it's I mean, funny. They have I, a narrative that said, they, they made, but you have the facts yeah. here, L.A. It's just amazing Well, stuff. I, think, I would like to think that we do. You know, the new Fatima film came out, and it was a, you know, nobody really cared. Um, just like with our film, most people really don't care. Uh, they're just going to believe what they want to believe. Um, most of my relatives are Catholic, and they look at me sideways, uh, sideways for creating the film in the first place. And I, I told them, I said, "I love Mary in the Bible. We're not, we're not bashing her, and we don't. I mean, you've seen the no. films. We never talk about Mary. All we do is go into the 1917 handwritten documents, the actual evidence of what people saw and what people testimonied, what what people talked about." which became their testimony. That's the source material for both films. In my opinion, ladies, this was a supernatural event. It was a harbinger of deception. There's all sorts of strange phenomena that followed it, which you never hear about, including a fourth witness that basically um, was under the radar until Fina Diarmada found her. You've done more than your homework, L.A., in providing us with the facts here, and we're so grateful. You've expanded our consciousness around this, because for so long we thought of it as an angelic type of representation that, you know, was very heartwarming, appearing to these three children, these three shepherds. It it did, certainly, it, it's the narrative of the Vatican and, and the church. And it, it was, a, you know, it kind of, it, it didn't, it had a feel-good to it in mm-hmm. some ways. But it, here it, you come along and, and you're sharing the rest of the story, which is also extremely important that we get to know this. And as you mentioned so many times in the film, back then nobody had the language for this. They called it flying cats, right? I mean, they, they right. didn't know from UFOs. But there was something that happened there that was so incredible, and it brought 70,000 people together that were sharing this experience and they were all getting along. How unique is that? Well, it is unique. <clears throat> and that's what's incredible about this whole thing. I mean, it's a very, very unique set of circumstances that 70,000 people partake in. Um, you know, the second film was called Strange Phenomena. Again, the Vatican never talks about the fact that cars spontaneously combusted windshields shattered, people who were underneath the disc-like object that did what we call the flyby, they experienced radiation burns, a strange substance which the Catholic Church calls rose petals, but were not rose petals, um, fell on the crowd. I mean, all these, 
all this strange phenomena, uh, people heard a buzzing noise when this when all this happened. I mean, this is these everything I just said, everything I just said, is analogous to its exactness. That's what happens in a close encounter of the second or third kind. When you're in the proximity of a UFO, you'll hear a strange buzzing noise. You can have like uh, the strange fiber-like object fall all around you. Uh, If you're close and the craft hovers over your head, you will get a radiation burn. No doubt about that. I mean, all these things, windshields of cars will explode. Your, Your car can just, shut down automatically, like the entire electrical system will short circuit and not start again. And this is exactly what happened in 1917. All the information I just said, every single point which is in the handwritten documents from 1917 is completely glossed over by the Catholic Church, by the official narrative. These documents, Ella, you talk about them being in uh, being archived, and it sounds like you need some kind of special permission to get in and look at them. Is that you the do. case? Yeah, you do. Um, that's why Rufina de Armada was there. She was not allowed to photograph anything. I mean, this is was so stupid about this whole thing, you know. Why not let the people look at this? Why not right. open it up and let everybody look at it? They don't do it. They control, they control the information. They control the narrative. But Fina was there and she was allowed to bring a tape recorder so she would just read as fast as she possibly could and that's why we know what we know because only Fina Diarmada was able to look at the handwritten records and what she did, she went in there with a blank slate. She went in there trying to figure out what Lucia saw and that was it. And what she came out with was a totally different story. And that really upset the apple cart for her the rest of her life. She was never able to really rise up to the level that she should have been able to in academia because she was censored, she was blacklisted, because she went up against uh, the powers that be. Look, truth is the way it is. Uh, People don't like to hear the truth. They don't. And, you know, it's just typical. It's like when I come out with a film like this, all the naysayers jump on it and accuse me of this, that, and the other thing. But my, my challenge, my retort to them is always the same thing. Research. Do you look at the films? Have you had access to the 1917 handwritten documents? Do you even know about the fourth witness that, was, that had a, an, a, an encounter with an apparition? Well, I didn't know there was a fourth witness. Yeah, there was. Her name was Carolina Carriera. And she was also tending sheep, and she was two years older than Lucia. She was 12. And it was basically over the exactly the same tree that the entity would later appear to Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta. And so she's there tending her sheep. She sees this, this androgynous figure, not sure whether it's a boy or a girl, long blonde hair, in a one-piece like, like smock, like a frock. And this entity is laughing and singing underneath this tree. And Carolina is kind of freaked out. And the entity communicates with her telepathically and tells her to come close. And Carolina doesn't. She looks at the sheep. The sheep are paralyzed. They're not moving. She looks back at the child. And the child 
which she wasn't sure it was a boy or a girl with blonde hair, that's incredibly rare in Portugal, is now floating above the treetop. Oh. That's supernatural. That's supernatural. That, that is in, that, is, that account literally verbatim is in the 1917 handwritten records. When Fina saw that, she went back to Fatima and tried to find the woman. She found the woman. She found Amazing. Carolina. And she took a wow. picture of her. And Carolina, Carolina excuse me, um, basically confirmed her story. So there's a fourth witness. This was not Mary in the Bible. This was something else. Uh, floating above the treetops, communicating telepathically, as, as did the entity the entity that uh, that appeared to Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta also communicated with them telepathically. So you know, the moment the more you delve into this, the more we realize that uh, this is a construct. But you know, Fatima is big business. When you go there, there are probably I don't know a hundred shops, or maybe I'm overestimating, but it seems like that many that sell all these all this religious paraphernalia. Um, the basilica is huge. The, the courtyard can hold upwards of a million people, one million people. My goodness. Think about that. One yeah, million people. So this is, you know, this is a, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. But you know, when you put it that it way, it, it could kind of, it, now I understand why the Vatican wanted that particular narrative. Now it's making more sense. I mean, because at first when you're telling us this, it sounds like, well, they just want to own this as if it's theirs and direct it, but it's, there's so much more involved. There's money involved. Well, the people, yeah, the, as, Francisco would say, as Francisco would say, the people of Portugal created Portugal. Or, or I'm sorry, the people of Portugal created Fatima. They, mm-hmm. they wanted this. They, they dressed it up. In, in a paradigm which they could embrace, the only paradigm that they knew, which was, you know, the Catholic rhetoric, Catholic dogma. So the right. entity became Mary, and the rest is history. Off we go to the races. <clears throat> when when uh, there was a film <clears throat> by a very well-known uh, production company that they went in and they interviewed Jose Machado, who examined the plates, the original photographs, taken in 1917 by Joshua Benolio. And he was there with Fina de Romana. Fina was sick. And they interviewed him. This is supposed to be um, number five or number six in the series. Well, when the producers got, got wind of this and they started looking at the final product, they basically put the kibosh on it. They basically said, no, we're not going to air that. It's too controversial. So once again, um, the good okay. people of Portugal were, were not able to, you know, see exactly what happened. But you're, you've broken that barrier. And I want to make sure that everybody knows your website, where to go to get these films. Where do they go, L.A.? Well, the best place to go is lamarzuli.net, <coughs> lamarzuli.net. But we also have our streaming um, on Uscreen. And so instead of buying the DVDs, if you just want to watch it um, on, on streaming, you can go to streaming.lamarzuli.net. Streaming.lamarzuli.net. You can rent Fatima 1 and Fatima 2, and you can decide for yourself 
what you're really looking at here. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, there were also entities that were talked about by, by other witnesses on that October 13th day. They said they saw entities in the ship, right? Yeah, they did. Uh, witnesses say that they saw three figures in the ship that seemed to be waving at them. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, 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 as J. Allen Hynek would say, this is high strangeness. It's high strangeness. And the reason why, um, and I show this in the film, you know, Fatima set a precedent to accept these sun miracles. And at the end of the first film, we show a compilation of sun miracles from the 20th and 21st century, which is mind-boggling. It's all there. You hear the absolute hysteria of the people who are witnessing these sun miracles. Heck, one happened in Congress, Georgia, and one major network went out with a film crew, and they filmed the stinking thing. We had a, a woman that, that emailed me, and she told me she was in the field at Conyers, Georgia, when the so-called miracle of the sun was happening. Next to her was her fiancé. So they're shoulder to shoulder looking up at the phenomenon. And she sees a religious figure. He sees a UFO. They're both wow. looking exactly the same place at the same thing. She sees a religious figure. He sees a UFO. How is that possible? This is what J. Allen kind of calls high strangeness. And what Fatima does, and the reason why I, I buck up against it so often, because it sets a precedent for people to believe these things. And so when I show um, these so-called sun miracles and happening in modernity, and you listen to the absolute hysteria of the crowd, I just, I just let the clip run at conferences. I don't even say a word. You know, the thing will speak for itself. It shows the people exactly what's going on. And when I show that at conferences, people are standing up in the back. I mean, people are leaning forward in their chairs. They never seen anything like this. They didn't even know it existed. You know, some miracles in Conyers, Georgia, in America, for crying out loud. Not Ireland. Um, in Egypt. In India. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. And, again, it sets a precedent for us to believe that these supernatural events are benevolent and we have no idea what they are. No one is challenging the entities. Everyone's just having, you know, a complete meltdown. And that's not what we're told we're supposed to do. Now you bring up a really important point about all of this because you also mentioned the automatic writing and how it was signed and it, it does raise some questions. So what are what are your thoughts on this? In my opinion, this has all the signature um, all the nuances of the prince of the power of the air, the dragon, i.e. Satan. Uh, this was a false narrative because the psychics predicted it. Uh, it was a UFO event. But what it does is it brings us into, as I said before, it allows people to accept the phenomenon as something benevolent, when I don't think it is. I think it is, as, as we titled the film, you know, harbinger of deception. That's what we think it is. It's a harbinger of deception. And now that we know that the UFO phenomena is real, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, you know, it's been coming out. David Fravor, former F-18 pilot, Tucker Carlson, what do you think this was? Uh, David Fravor says whatever this was was not 
of this world. Luis Elizondo is on Tucker Carlson's show. When asked by Tucker Carlson, does the United States have in its possession wreckage from down UFOs? Elizondo says yes. Several months go by. Someone from Tuba Stars Academy appears on Glenn Beck. It states that we, we analyze the metal. It has isotopes not of this world. Later on, Luis Elizondo, or I'm sorry, later on, the Pentagon states that we have um, the validity of UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. These, it is real. They acknowledge its existence, all right? Level yeah, they're five, supposed to be coming out with a report on this, right? Yeah, they will. Level five was that the United States government has in its possession off-world vehicles. So it's gone from metal to fully full-blown off-world vehicles, which ties back into Bob Lazar, if you know who he is, in the 90s yeah. when he came forward and stated that uh, he saw these things. He saw it fly. So I've always believed Lazar's story. I've always been a fan. I met him years and years ago, and I always believed the story. And now it's all coming out that uh, all this is true. So, again, in my opinion, to sort of bring it into a circle here, what people experienced in 1917 was, in fact, a UFO event. There's no question that that's what it was. I mean, just taking a look at that photograph, it says it all. And I have to share something with you also, Ellie. The photographer, did you notice an enormous resemblance between the photographer and George Norrie? <laughs> no, I, I'll have to look that up. Look That's at that funny. again. It looks just like George. Let me, let me go do it right now. That's really funny. Isn't it? Because <laughs> you talk Amazing. about the circle here. And I, as soon as you flashed his the, fo- the photo of the photographer, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, he looks just like George Norrie. <laughs> wow. And George has a very distinctive look. Yeah, he does, absolutely. I'm, I'm try- trying to Google this up now and see yeah, if have a picture. I mean, this is just so fascinating. And I know also, L.A., that we know we've looked at the rest of your material, and you have so much information on UFOs and disclosure. We'd be really interested to hear your opinion of what you think is coming oh next. Oh, my God. He really looks like George. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, that right. is freaky. Isn't oh, it? my God. Yeah, I'm looking right at it. I mean, if George had a mustache that went like, I mean, it really looks like him. Doesn't it? Especially around the eyes. Yes. Wow. Wow. I mean, you have to wonder, was that that George in a past life? Because it looks like him. (laughs) Things possible. Yeah. Well, that's incredible. Yeah, you'll have to share that with George, see if he has any uh, feelings for Fatima. But uh, that definitely looked like he was still doing his job even back then. So There you go. <laughs> but, again, with all of this coming out, little bits at a time, and obviously they have their own – our government has its PR campaign, and that's why they're, they've renamed UFOs, UAPs, and they're putting things out a little bit at a time. How do you think their plan is? What do you think they're up to? Our government. Well, I, I think we're looking at full disclosure. I mean, it's just a matter of time before it happens. I mean, 
they've been leaching this out very slowly, but very deliberately. It is a managed agenda, as the late Chuck Missler used to say. It is a managed agenda. The powers yes. that be, the deep state, whoever you want to call them, they are leaching it out. They're using Tucker Carlson. Why? Because Tucker Carlson basically panders to the conservative Christian audience. And mm-hmm. so they're waiting to see what kind of reaction that they have. Well, there is no reaction, except for wackos like Ellen Marzulli, who, you know, writes books and creates films over this stuff. But we're, we will see at some point in the not-too-distant future full disclosure, and that's the game changer. That will change life as we know it. It certainly will. And why now? Why do you think this is happening now, L.A.? Well, I, I believe in the biblical prophetic narrative. I believe in the prophetic scriptures. And I believe we are in the end times, the latter days. Uh, everything that Jesus talked about uh, uh, in Matthew 24, which is where, where, where you can find that record. The guy's name was Matthew. He was one of the disciples. It's the 24th chapter of his book. So it's just an address. When I say Matthew 24, there's nothing religious about it. It's just an address. You know, it's like it's like saying, go to Moby Dick and turn to page uh, chapter 5, uh, page 220. It's the same deal. So, mm-hmm. but in, 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 the, in, the, in the Matthew 24 narrative, Jesus basically gives us a punch list that these will be the signs of my second coming. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places, troublesome times. Uh, that's exactly what we see in ways that we've never seen it before. Just that's think of sure. COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the endless, endless uh, soft wars globally. Now, uh, just this week, you know, Armenia and, and Azerbaijan are going at it. So, you know, right. it, just, it just never ends. So it's, uh, you know, the whole planet is in absolute turmoil. And I've, I've always believed that COVID was a scandemic. Some of us have called it the COVID coup. And we see the, the aftermath of this thing. So I just think we're in a window of time that um, because of the biblical prophetic narrative, uh, we are looking at the end of this age and perhaps a golden age under, under the leadership of the Messiah. Basically, we call it the thousand-year millennium, where Jesus will rule from uh, Jerusalem. And this isn't dogma. This is prophecy. Uh, you know, it's fine to say, L.A., the dogma lives well to you. Mm, Diane, you have no idea what you're talking about. You can call it dogma, but what if it's the truth? And the only reason why I say it's the truth, because prophecy uh, is a something which is written uh, thousands of years in some cases before the event. And it's done with great specificity, unlike Nostradamus quatrains, which can be very, you know, sort of amorphous and, uh, well, I'm not sure what that really means. Well, neither am yeah. I. Right. But when it says, for instance, that in the latter days, I will gather the nation of Israel from the four corners of the earth and reestablish her, never to be moved again. That happens. Yes. That happens. So that's the fulfillment of prophecy. We, we know it's, it's, it's certain. So, you know, wars and rumors well, of wars, well, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. Right. That all makes here. sense. I mean, I understand everything you're saying. But, again, here's what I'm wondering, too. And, again, with your vast knowledge of the whole UFO experience, you may have another take on this. But it, it does appear that something is pushing our government forward to give us the information, however slowly they're doing it, but 
something's pushing them from some side, whether it's the alien side or is another country, another superpower like Russia or China threatening to tell us about it before the U.S. does and then there would be egg on their face. I mean, I'm wondering. It just feels to me like something or some group is pushing them to do this. What do you think? Well, yeah, there is. I, I, I agree with you. Um, there is a deep state. There is a shadow government. Um, the, the old guard has uh, pretty much died off from Roswell. In other words, the old guard that said, no, we've got to keep all this from the American people, they're all dead. They're all dead, okay? They were all mm-hmm. in their 30s, 40s, 50s when Roswell happened, you know, my dad's age. So they're all right. dead now. And mm-hmm. the new people are going, it's time for the world to know. And so they're leeching it out piece by piece, and no one does anything. PK and Patricia, nobody does doodly squat. There's not a, no one raises an eyebrow. I do, because I've been tracking <laughs> of this stuff since I was a kid. I go, oh, my gosh, don't you guys see what's going on? They're, yeah, they're, I know. We're waiting. You know, we're waiting out. for skeptics' heads to explode. I mean, this is such definitive proof that has been given out most recently. I mean, there's no question that all of this is is real and has been happening for a long time. And long you're time. right. It does seem like people are are. I don't know if they're just distracted by COVID and other things. Not sure. But this is big stuff. Maybe the fear of the unknown as opposed to stepping up to the plate and opening the doors and finding out and uh, allowing it to be made known. We keep trying to put things under the rug. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we're at a point where they're not, you know, the powers that be uh, aren't sweeping stuff under the rug so much anymore. Oh, that's that's, that's what we're saying. Good. Again, this is... This is orchestrated. It's very, very, very deliberate. I mean, it's very, it's orchestrated, managed to the nines, and very deliberate on their part. This isn't something haphazard. And I think, I think we're close. I think we're close to full disclosure. We'll see. Oh, I hope you're right. That is fantastic. And I wonder, you know, when you talk about these archives that are so difficult for anybody to get into and read, and we know the Vatican has so much material that they've been hiding. I'm wondering if is that going to finally be released? Will people get access to that as well? You know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I have no idea what the Vatican will or won't release. Um, you know, they, they have enough problems of their own. So it's hard it's hard to say. I mean it's it's just hard to say uh where where it's going. But it is it is I just recap, it is a managed agenda. And the powers that be are un- revealing this information. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, and to get back to Fatima, I mean, I, I still wonder, is this something that you see as a positive event, knowing what really happened? Is it something positive, do you think, or, or not? Well, in my opinion, I mean, I've, I've called the first film Harbinger of Deception because that's what it was. Um, you know, people, look, here's the deal. The people in that field, everyone, had nothing in their grid system to um, to process the information that they were seeing. Nothing. 
you know, that they didn't know what they were looking at. They'd never seen anything like that before. In 1917 in Portugal, no one had seen airplanes for crying out loud, for the most part. For the most part. There were, there were no airplanes in Portugal. Maybe one, maybe one in, uh, in, in Lisbon. But that's it. So, you know, you've got this really weird deal going on. I mean, like, super weird. And people are trying to figure out, well, what did we just see? What just happened? And they dress it up in Catholic clothes. And that's what they do. Yes, it is what they do. I mean, again, I look at it as, you know, it's a great, it's a large group of people. They came together for one purpose, to experience what they thought would be some type of a sign from God. And it was a positive event for them. We look at it and we see, again, it's a UFO experience, appears to be positive, and then, of course, the Vatican puts their little stamp on it, but it appears to be positive in, you know, whether it gave people an increased faith or a belief in a higher power. I don't know. I mean, what did when you talked to some of the descendants of these people who were witnesses, did they say that it, it had a positive effect? Uh, it's all across the board. Some people were euphoric. Some people were terrified. Uh, some people became hysterical. It, it's all across the gamut of, of human emotion. Uh-huh. So, which is, you know, and you can see the same thing even in modernity. When I show those clips uh, at the end of the first film about the sun miracles, you can see that for the most part, it, it's absolute hysteria. Is what, and I think that that's what happened in Fatima. The whole thing of all these people kneeling down and, you know, worshiping, eh, I'm not buying that for a, for a second. Um, mm-hmm. People were doing that. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've, I've looked at the photographs and poured over them. When you look at the photographs, they're looking up at the sky. They see something. And you can see um, different people have different expressions. Some people, they have, like, their hands are clasped in prayer and, and they're they're elated. Other people... They're looking at this like, what is that? They're skeptical. <laughs> Other people are, are fearful. Other people are in awe. It's the whole gamut of human emotion. In If you really look at Benoliel's photographs, it's all like right there. I mean, you can see that the people that are looking, um, you know, that are there in the event, that are actually at Fatima looking at all this stuff, uh, they're, just, they're just blown away. I mean, it's, it's – uh, and we show those photographs in the film, you know, you can and, – and check them out for yourself. Um, a lot yeah, of it – no, I, exactly. I see what you're saying. You know, it was a wide, wide gamut. Well, it looks like we have a question from a caller, so let me just bring this person on. This is area code 254. I'm going to bring you live on the air if you have a question for L.A. Hi, you're live on the air. Do you have a question for L.A. tonight? How's everyone doing tonight? All righty. I, I just want to say again, how is everyone doing tonight? We're good. How Fine. about you? <laughs> all right. It's all about you. Um, first of all, I just want to send my love out to you guys, and I just want to say um, we love you guys. And I just want to say that the reason why there's so much misconception and the reason why there is so much fear uh, when it comes to talking about these things, it's because the way that we have been programmed, 
Um, we have been programmed all of all of our lives um, to think and to believe that there is no one else here in this universe except us. So when you have people that allow their minds not to be a crab in a box and and allow themselves to go outside of the box and and to see reality for what reality really is and see life, you see, bigger than what we ever exposed it to be, then we come to see that we're not alone in this universe, you see. Yeah, sounds right. We're not alone, that's for sure. (laughs) Do you have a question for L.A. today? Of course you're not alone. Well... I just want to say this right here. Um, We, the brothers and sisters of a whole galactical union and federation, we just want mankind on this planet to come together into a bond of unity and love. Because what man on this planet do not understand and what they do not know is is that the earth in itself, a mind, is like a mind, and you all have minds, and whatever comes out of your mind being exposed to a mind will only reflect and retract that same type of vibration. So a lot of what's happening on the earth, a lot of people don't understand that a lot of things that's happening on this earth is not just happening for no potential reason at all. It's not just happening just because. A lot of these things are happening because of the way man on this planet is thinking. You got so much violence, so therefore the earth reacts in violence. You got so much hate, so the earth reacts in that way. You got so much tension, so therefore the earth is bending and acting out in so much tension. Even in it herself, she's going through so much stress with the ways and the many ways that are coming from the universe and, and, and the ways that are coming at her from outside of the universe, you see. And even Yes, well, I think you're raising some really, really sun. important points, and we definitely have our work cut out for us on this planet. There is no doubt about it. And I think we here in uh, studio and in our audience, we agree. We are not alone. So thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Well, that's the thing. The only way that we're going to know is that we come to, the only way that you humans are going to know is to come to accept and love one another and to accept the things that come from they who come from above. But if you continuously keep cutting us off and don't let us be and don't let us speak who we are, then you will always be in the awe, in the mind of awe, in the mind of wonder, you see. But we well, thank who you come from above, that. we don't come yeah. from below. We get it. We Believe me, we do understand what you're saying. So thank you so much for calling in. And I just want to get back to our guest and more about Fatima. And, again, thank you so much for your insights. L.A., when, when you were making on this movie, how did you end each day? Because the amount of stress as well as pleasure that must have come from it had to be mind-boggling. Well, 
what I discovered when I was at Fatima was that there was ancient goddess worship that was practiced along with ritualistic sacrifice, human sacrifice, all throughout the country before the Christian era. I didn't know this. And so here I am at Fatima. I was told by the Lord to go, and I went. And we're making this film, and we're laying in a hotel room one night, and it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I am visited literally by a principality. I didn't see anything, but the the spiritual warfare was off the hook, uh, so much so that anything I had in my arsenal, I, I couldn't stand up against this thing. I mean, I was reduced. It's kind of like Gandalf fighting a Balrog, something like Ooh. that, if you, if you know that part of yeah. Lord of the Rings. It was very, very intense, the most intense thing I've ever experienced. And I didn't do well. I mean, I did not fare well. In fact, I was curled up in a fetal position, and I was telling the Lord, I'm leaving in the morning. I can't make this film. This is too much for me. I don't know what's going on, but I can't do this. And the Spirit of a Living God spoke to me and said, trust the process. And and I just went, trust the process? I'm getting the living crap kicked out of me here. And you say, trust the process? We're baby. This is not what I wanted to hear. And so the next morning I got up, I showered. My wife and I went to our first interview, met Francisco. And I'm like, you know, I had like five or six hours of sleep. I'm like spinning. I'm exhausted from the battle. Um, and I really don't want to be doing what I'm doing. I want to be leaving, right? But I'm trusting yeah. the process. So I'm interviewing this guy who's a historian, a philosopher, and I say, wait, close the cameras down. And I look at him and I say, what was here before the Christian era? And that's when the cat came out of the bag. He said, oh, there was ancient goddess worship here. The goddess name was Mora. She was the mother goddess. She would appear as a serpent. She would kill the people that she consorted with. And I'm just sitting there going, are you kidding me? And then he goes, (laughs) oh, yeah. There were serpent cults that are still active in northern Portugal. And I just went, what? So basically what happened to me is I was going up against a territorial spirit. This is biblical. A territorial principality who's in charge of that entire area. And this wow. is a, a biblical concept. And it didn't like what I was doing and came at me with both barrels. And it certainly did come at me with both barrels. Uh, it was very unpleasant, very unpleasant. Uh, I was able to finish the film, and we got out of there, and, and that was the end of it. We've been back to Portugal since and have not had any type of recurrence uh, with that entity. Frankly, I don't want to. But, you know, there are that. principalities. You know, there mm-hmm. are territorial spirits that have ruled an area. Uh, just think about the drug cartels in Mexico, if you don't believe what I'm saying. Not not so much for you, but for your listeners. The drug right. cartels in Mexico uh, do ritualistic sacrifice, in some cases human sacrifice, to the goddess Muerta, the goddess of death. And the goddess Muerta gives them power and protection. And with all the drug cartels, this is how they operate. I'm going to make this stuff up. And that is an ancient, 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 ancient goddess that has been a territorial spirit that has been over Mexico for thousands of years. Yes. Yes, we, we know about Santa Muerte. That's uh that's a very interesting right. interesting relationship that people have and we've heard from some of our guests that have uh studied this 
that it's made its way into the U.S. It's not just uh, South America, Mexico anymore. So yeah, it has. Interesting, no interesting thing. Now, did your wife have any experiences like that while you guys were in Portugal? No. So just no, you. You were the lucky one. <laughs> just me. Yeah, Mr. Lucky. At least she came home with uh, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I've been up since like 5 this morning. I'm exhausted. I'm assuming we have about another 15 minutes, and then we'll yeah, wrap it up. Yeah, we've got about that, 10, just 10 minutes left. And okay, I, I want to also just kind of tell everybody about the rest of your books, because you have a, a ton of books out there, and I know they're all excellent. What's your favorite? What's the one that you wrote that you enjoyed writing the most? Well, um, nonfiction, it would be the Cosmic Chess Match for sure. Although, you know, UFO Disclosure is very interesting. That's the latest book. And as far as films, um, it would have to be probably Axis Mundi, the latest film that we just did, uh, what we discovered at, at um, uh, America Stonehenge was mind-boggling. It is the Axis oh. Mundi, the center of the world. And what we discovered there was just, just mind-boggling. Well, it's another one we have to put on our list then. There you go. Yes. You yes. Gotta come back. I know. We got it. And I want to see these, the rest of your films, and I want to read more of your books. Because, you, again, you have a vast knowledge that's across many different uh, disciplines here. And The Giants, I know you, you have a series on that. Right. Which right. is, again, exactly. an incredible story. And how they, how they have covered this up. I don't. I just can't believe it. How did this get covered up? Well, they continue to cover up, and that's why we make the films that we made. The DNA film about the elongated Paracas skulls, uh, we just handed that off to our uh, uh, Doug Diamond, who balances all the sound, you know, the, the dialogue, the music, the effects, and he also does all the color correction for the films. And then it goes off to the duplicator. We'll also be putting it up on our on our streaming.lamarzuli.net net. that will be number six in the series of On the Trail of the Nephilim. And what we discover, I mean, I'll just, I'll just come right out of the bag and tell you, these entities, these elongated skulls are not human. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion. They're not the result of cranial deformation, cranial headboarding. They're not. They are a different species. They are, in my opinion, the remnants of the biblical Nephilim. And specifically, the tribe that says the Anakim, the long necks. That's what I think they are. And when you watch that film, when it comes out, you'll see why. <laughs> We've got Can't doctors, wait. surgeons, uh, anthropologists, archaeologists, chiropractors. We've got a, a optometrist. We've got a whole cadre of people that coalesce and come together, multidisciplines, who examine the evidence, look at the skulls, the morphological, structural differences, and go, excuse me, you can't do this from cranial deformation, cradle headboarding. This is something else. And this, this was another species. And I believe truly that it was the Anakim along next. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Now, you, I believe I heard another interview that you did about um, the fallen angels coming to our planet and just wreaking havoc here. And sure. can you tell us a little bit about that? What happened? Well, this is like, you know, that's that's the basis for the whole series on the trail of the Nephilim. I mean, that's that's what we that's why we're making a series here. But it basically comes back to there's, there's a seed war 
and most people don't even understand what that is. The seed of the woman, the seed of the dragon, the seed of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent will be at war, at enmity with the seed, the offspring of the woman. And the one that will come from the offspring of the woman will crush the dragon's head. Someone is coming from the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, which will crush the dragon's head, destroy his kingdom. That's the Messiah. That mm-hmm. sets up the rest of the biblical narrative. But I unless see. a person knows and understands what Genesis 3.15 says, then the rest of the book. Trust me, that book is so in-depth, and it's hidden. It's cloaked. You need a key to open it. It's right there, but you need a key to open it. And unless you got the key, you can read it from now until the cows come home, and you won't be able to make heads or tails out of it. You won't. No kidding. Hmm. Gosh, well, I'm again. I am just in awe of the, the amount of knowledge that you have, and that you're revealing this to everybody mm-hmm. at this time. There's, I guess, it's the right time for this too. Well, you know, it's, God does things in, in very interesting ways, and I think that that's uh, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're looking at. It, it's time for this stuff to come out, and, and we're revealing it, and people can yep. do with the information yep. what they want to. It's so far overdue. I'm just fabulous. It's just wonderful what you're putting out right now. It's so helpful because it, it, it really does back up this whole disclosure thing that it needs to happen. And it's you're bringing the historical parts in, and it all makes sense. It all makes tremendous sense. But, again, it's just I, I really hope, I hope we see this very soon. And some of the people that have come on our show also have talked about museums that have received skeletons and that obviously speak to another species and they're giants or they're somehow different from us and they throw them out. They don't want anybody yeah. to see them. No, they don't. They don't. And that, that's why my work on Catalina Island where we discovered a nine-footer and we took photographs of the photograph, which was an original photograph taken by Ralph Glidden on Catalina Island circa 1919 and 1921, laying in the archives for, for you know, over almost 100 years. No one knew what it was, and I walked into the archives and found it in an hour and took a photograph of the photograph and published it, had it analyzed. It went viral, and then the museum tried to double-step and redact the photograph and all this other stuff, but we know what we saw. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, irrefutable. I mean, you can't, you just can't tap dance around it. Giants were here, and we show that uh, in, in our films and in our books. And it's important information. I, that I don't understand of why they would cover that up, unless, again, it connects back to planetary visitors, it, because it just, it's part of our history. They were here. Well, it points back to a supernatural worldview. It points back to the validity of the biblical narrative. I mean, the Bible is the only one that really, the only book that talks about what the giants are, where they were from. Talks about the uh, the Watcher angels, specifically in the Book of Enoch, uh, that that came and did the unthinkable. And this is what the DNA film was about. Uh, we, I honestly believe that these Paracas skulls were these Paracas entities, whatever. They're not people. There's something else that uh, this was the last vestiges of the Anakim. There's no, in my mind, there's no doubt at this point. Absolutely none. Wow. Especially, you know, our DNA 
the DNA evidence that we did. We were, we, and ours is the only team that did it that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe there's another team that done it that, that went after us. I don't know, or went before us. But we know one team went down there, but they didn't. Apparently, they didn't do the elongated skulls. We concentrated on the elongated skulls. We tested 18 skulls, took 58 DNA samples, and it's all it's all in the film. It's all in the report. So you know. People can say it's contaminated. Well, if it was contaminated, why didn't we get nuclear DNA? We didn't get right. nuclear DNA because it wasn't contaminated. And our protocols were incredibly stringent. They were above board. In fact, people in other labs looked at what we did and said, wow, you guys really went the extra mile in the field. We said, yeah, we know we did. There was no contamination. But, you know, the DNA is one thing. But then you look at the morphological structures, and that's why we've got all these doctors and and physicians and surgeons and optometrists and chiropractors looking at these things and going, not human, sorry, genetic. <laughs> so there you go. Have you had Thank any you. experience with Bigfoot also, L.A.? Well, that's going to be an up- upcoming film at some point. I mean, Ron oh, Moorhead good. is a good friend. And yeah, Ron Moorhead uh, did his book, Sierra Sounds, and yes. Ron and I have talked about it, and he believes as I do that these are the vestiges of the Nephilim. Ah. Mm. We've had Ron on the show with those incredible vocalizations. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they go right through you. It's right through you. They do. Very, very, very uh, horrific. Very powerful. So um, we're going to look forward to that film also because they these, these Bigfoot, they're so elusive, they must be interdimensional the way they... Come in and disappear. They can't be trapped. Yeah, Ron and I have talked about this, and we both agree, we both concur that these entities are, in fact, interdimensional. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. sense. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Wow. Well, L.A., we can't thank you enough for staying up all these long hours and being able to talk with us and our audience tonight. It's so, so great to have you on the show. Can't thank you again enough times for coming well, on you. tonight and we really want to encourage everybody buy LA's books rent the movies you won't be disappointed they are tremendous and we've got to have you back uh, so we'll be calling well, you again yeah that sounds good all right thanks yeah, so wait. much we'll let you go <laughs> thank you guys thank okay. you Patricia thank you PK thank Take you Lady. care LA What a great, great amount of information that L.A. gave us tonight, huh? It was such a feel-good because he put us looking at things in a way that we've talked about, but a lot of it's been undercover because you don't want to say it out loud too much because too many people get a little spooked by it. But when you've got the information and it's validated, oh, what what a treat. Well, it's, yeah, it's important information, and it, it really puts a, I mean, this is a story you and I grew up with, and this now we have a whole different concept of it. So Definitely. Definitely expanded our consciousness tonight, and I know our audience probably feels the same way. This, he added a new dimension to all of this, and mm-hmm. I, I don't, I can understand why some people get uptight about it, but it, they really shouldn't, because just like he said, Mary was never part of the equation when they went to do film. I just wanted to talk about what witnesses saw and experienced. But 
remarkable stuff, and he put together two great films, built the case for what was witnessed and experienced. I mean, one of the things that was really uh, that took me uh, by surprise was that what happened with the cars. How the cars stopped, or the hoods went flying yeah. off, the windshields cracked. That's quite a lot of energy to do something like that. Well, that surprised me because when you think back to the engines at that point in time versus now, where they could go up and crank something that would start off, where we've got all the intricacies of computerisms in our vehicles today, that was the basic, and you would think yeah. they would have no problem. And here it was, they would stop them in track. That was it. Yeah, they sure did. Well, what a great show. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And now we're moving into October, spooky October. So we'll be back next week with another another great show, and we're going to do our spooky stuff for the entire month. It will be a lot of fun. And we're also looking for some new music, new intro music. With anything, guys and girls, let us know. We'd love to hear your suggestions. And until next week. See you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.